Hi, everybody, and thanks for joining our weekly podcast. I'm Robin Lewis, founder and CEO of The Robin Report, which, by the way, uh, we believe is much more than just a daily report. It really is a, a knowledge platform <clears throat> from which we communicate thought leadership on various strategic topics through the daily reports, but also uh, these podcasts. And we have webinars and perhaps in the future, we'll have some live events. And along with our chief strategist, Shelley Cohan, who is also a professor at FIT and Syracuse University, we welcome you to our conversation on the topic of fluid gender fashions make big waves. Great title, Shelley. Um, so it's no male or female sizes and styles, but fashions for everyone. And this was really prompted about a company that I actually know a lot about having worked there, uh, the VF Corporation. And one of their most important brands, the $3 billion Vans brand, is in the midst of a major turnaround <clears throat> following several quarters of losses and an 11% drop in sales last year. And I think they are on to something that will help get it back to its roots, uh, which also should get the brand back on its once explosive growth tra trajectory. Um, but before we get to that, we should provide a bit of context. And then what Vans global brand president, Kevin Bailey, is doing to re-energize the brand. So Shelley, according to Bailey, um, in an interview with Women's Story Daily, a big part of Vans' troubles began following VF's acquisition of the super hot streetwear brand, <clears throat> Supreme. Right. And, they, and they, they purchased that in 2020. And Vans, which had its own uh, niche skateboard culture and <laughs> kind of quirk, quirky following, they tried to become a big posh streetwear brand and copied Supreme's cadence of weekly drops of new goods. But the problem with that was that Vans did not have the infrastructure in its vast network to pull this off. The constant churning out of new product launches over and over and over again um, was just not sustainable for Vans. And unlike Supreme, um, where it is part of the brand ethos, Vans simply could not pull it off. So they are going back <clears throat> to what they do best, which is focusing on skateboard culture and not being a fashion brand. Vans is operationally strong and has an excellent global distribution network. And it is still a beloved brand and can find its way back in our opinion. They're focusing on data analytics and better understanding their consumers and investing in the ability to more quickly adjust to changing consumer behaviors. Uh, that word agility, Shelley, <laughs> how yep. many times have we pointed to that as a necessity for success? 
But I think the other aspect of their strategy is more important and relevant, giving rise to what I am seeing becoming a broader theme, which is a genderless merchandise strategy. No male or female sizes, but one size for all, and styles that are not specific to a particular gender. Well, let me first say that Kevin Bailey, he knows a thing or two about Vans. Um, he was VP of retail for Vans back in 2004 when VF Corp acquired the brand. And then he was president of Vans from 2009 to 2016. And he, he's really responsible for this growth of Vans and he brought it to over 2.2 billion. So right. um, definitely knows the brand. And Robin, you're spot on about this move towards genderless fashion. And we've heard the terms unisex, gender fluidity, universal dressing, but all these terms embrace two big ideas. The first is that, you know, all welcoming something for everyone is one of the broad themes. Um, and the other one is really a move away from gender binary styles. So in one survey by Uniday, 80% of Gen Z participants who responded to the survey admitted to focusing on how clothes look and feel. And while 55% they didn't mind how clothes are labeled, 65% um, believe brands should actually give shoppers the option to search for gender neutral clothing. Yeah. I also found, uh, according to Statista, <clears throat> one of our favorite um, sources of information in September 2022, younger generations in the US are more likely to buy more gender neutral fashions. So 85% of Gen Z respondents and 75% of millennials said they're thinking about buying more gender fluid apparel. Wow. And of course, Big. Gen Z, um, according to the Tobe report, you know Abby Doniger personally. Yep. Uh, his family founded uh, Doniger in the Tobe report, um, and he's currently the CEO. And of course, Leslie Geist, she's the EVP, love her. Um, she's the EVP of Tobe, and she's like the clear thought leader in terms of all things fashion and consumerism. Um, she describes Gen Z as what she labeled as beyond binary. Hmm. So yeah. this kind of means that the generation, you know, takes this kind of gender fluid approach to everything they do from style practice preferences to, you know, self-care practices and separating activities and assortments by sex is irre irrelevant to this age group. So what she suggests in the Tobe is that, you know, really these retailers should be testing this something for everyone department that focuses on aesthetics, sentiment, and purpose over this traditional his and hers characteristics. Um, right. Also, uh, you know, Gen Z, which you know, Robin, is 40% of the consumer market now, and it keeps growing. Um, they really wanna transact with companies that really share their same beliefs and Gen Z simply believe that binary gender is a thing of the past. So oh, a couple cool. other, uh, you know, things to add in here. In 2019, 56% of Gen Z consumers shopped outside their assigned gendered area. And this is according to Rob Smith. He's the founder of uh, Fluid Project. It's a gender-free fashion. 
uh, movement. And then the search for non-binary non -binary baby names was up 50% in the US over the past year. And cool unisex name search was up 400%. We're also seeing the any social media blogs are really a lot of searches are around this idea of gender creative parenting. So what this means is and how this relates is we have millennials that are really trying to create this gender creative parenting um, gen alphas now they're going to grow up with that. So this is just going to continue to get bigger and bigger. Gen Z, according to the Tobey report, and Robin, you know, Abby Doniger, sure his do. family founded Doniger, of course, we all look for that for the latest on everything great. And of course, Leslie Geis, she's the EVP of Tobey and clearly the thought leader on all things fashion and consumerism. She's describing Gen Z as what well, she's labeling as beyond binary. So it's kind of this idea that the generation takes this gender fluid approach to everything from style preferences to self-care practices. And they're really not separating activities and assortments by sex. It's just irrelevant to them. So what she suggests is that, you know, really kind of testing this something for everyone department that focuses more on aesthetic sentiment, purpose over tradition, um, and really getting away from classifying things in his and hers characteristics. So as you know, Robin, yep. Gen Z is 40% of the consumer market now and growing. Wow. Um, and these, this cohort really wants to transact with companies that have their same beliefs. So Gen Z believes that binary gender is a thing of the past. And then in 2019, 56% of Gen Z consumers shopped outside their assigned gendered area. This is according to Rob Smith. He's the founder of gender-free fashion brand Fluid Project, spelled P-H fluid. Um, and we also know that the search for non-binary baby names was mm. up 50% in the U.S. over the past year. Wow. And cool unisex name searches was up 400%. Wow. And the last thing I'll add, um, and all of this is from the Tobey report, is that gender creative parenting, the search for ideas about gender creative parenting, are just all over blogs and social feeds. So what this means yeah. is that these millennials are bringing up the alphas, the gen alphas, uh, in this same kind of uh, mentality of gender-free, you know, parameters yeah. around their living. So this will continue to grow. Yeah, you better believe it. And you know, Vans is calling its genderless fashion style fluid. And really getting rid of the idea of having to shop by men or women's styles, this is a growing trend, as you're pointing out, with particularly with the younger consumers. As you have suggested, um, you know, you've gone through that whole thing about Tobey and so forth, and those those surveys and stuff are very important. But Kevin uh, said it is actually how the customer shops already. So you know, he said. Uh, they could not really keep track of sales in terms of consumption because 
men would buy pink vans <laughs> and women would buy black. So, you know, the labels are going away and vans will have one size range and that will be like XS to double XL. So <laughs> in that interview with the Women's Or Daily, Bailey said, we call it style fluidity because we think you don't have to get into who people choose to be and represent themselves as we don't have to get into a pronoun game. We embrace everyone's individuality and who they choose to be. But we're also saying you can dress however the heck you want to dress. Adding that rock stars have, have done <laughs> that forever. That's um, so funny. Yeah. Anyway, Vans, uh, Vans wants to grow beyond $5 billion in annual sales in 2023. It's what they project to, to end up this year with. Um, and they are sitting around $3 billion today, as I mentioned before. And they're going to be focusing on four groups. Skateboarding. Of course, that's what they've been known forever for. Active outdoor, lifestyle, and pinnacle. And Bailey is spot on because we see on social media, the celebrities, the influencers and the like who pick clothes that they want to wear and they're not concerned uh, with portraying certain stereotypes or, or gender. Yeah, I love the comment about the rock stars. That's so true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, there's really like two contributing factors that have accelerated the demand for gender neutral styles. And this is on top of the shift of shopping preferences from Gen Z for non-gendering fashion. But these other two factors are one, as you know, Robin, casual wear took off during the pandemic and it yep. really stuck. And yep. so that kind of just lends itself, you know, hoodies, sweatpants, track pants, that all plays into um, a non-gender style. I think the second catalyst for genderless fashion is the impact of celebrities, influencers, athletes, Mm -hmm. um, they've all had really a big impact on the style fluidity, as you mentioned, Robin. And, you know, Levi noted that when they're styling and working with these artists and celebrities and influencers, these people are not picking styles based on gender labels. They pick styles they want to wear without consideration to the gender label. Yeah. And hey. I think there's many, there are many celebrities that are really giving you know, way to acceptance of genderless fashion. Harry Styles obviously is probably the most influential person that has moved gender fluid fashions forward. Billie Eilish and actor Billy Porter. Ranveer Singh, who's another one that's really pushing forward this idea of genderless fashion. He has 43 million followers on Instagram. Wow, wow. unbelievable. But, but you, you know, that tells you that it's really sticking and it's going to accelerate, it's accelerating, you know, as we're speaking. Um, and, you know, Shelly, the lack of standardized sizing and particularly a top-down <clears throat> lack of focusing on not just sizing, uh, but dealing with the bigger issue of fit, especially in women's apparel, has always been problematic as well. As, and you, you know that well. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. And the inconsistency across brands has totally frustrated consumers. 
And in fact, it is probably the biggest reason for online returns, which I don't have to convince uh, our audience, and certainly not you, Shelley, of the enormous costs that these returns incur. Essentially, because of this lack of focus on sizing and fit, the industry is shifting the responsibility of right-sizing back to the consumer. In other words, consumers know more about their sizing and fit than the brands that make the fashion, which seems pretty crazy to me, Shelley. <laughs> Absolutely. And you know what added fuel to the fire, Robin? Do you, do you remember back in the 1980s, we went through this whole thing with vanity sizing? So, oh, yeah. Yeah. Labeling, <laughs> labeling sizes smaller than the actual cut of the garment. And this was done to lift sales. So if you're normally a size eight, they label it a six because you think, oh, wow, I'm a six instead of an eight. And it just, you know, leads into this stereotype that, you know, it's better to be a small size versus a big size. Ann Taylor, Victoria's Secret, um, they were really known to do this on a mass scale. And Victoria's Secret, this is so crazy, Robin, Victoria's Secret was minimizing the back measurement. So the circumference uh, of brawls, but <laughs> increasing the cup size to entice women to shop with them. So they were feeding into this stereotypical idea that larger boobs are more attractive and beautiful, you know, thin circumference and large cups. <laughs> I know it's crazy. And Shelly, now we are seeing many companies that are trying to lose some of those damaging stereotypes. And Victoria's Secret is being probably the most obvious. Um, Lego uh, has worked hard to remove stereotypes around gender bias. Um, and that company said, quote unquote, we still experience age old stereotypes that label activities as only being suitable for one specific gender. Lego, whose colorful building blocks and figurines sell in more than 130 countries. Wow. And they said it wants to make its products more inclusive. So the children's ambitions are not limited by their gender. <clears throat> the company um, said um, they will ensure any child, regardless of gender identity, that they can build anything they like. And they vowed also to make its products free of gender bias and harmful stereotypes saying, there is a need for wider society to rebuild perceptions. Yeah, and there's some iconic fashion brands that really have been at this for a while. Leve back in 2020 had a campaign called Wear What You Love, Gender Neutrality. Um, but to be honest, you know, Levi styles are already being worn by men and women and have been for years. Yep. Um, and we used to call it unisex styles. Oh, yeah. Um, but you know, Levi's are really designed to be worn by anyone, regardless of gender. And Everlane, which quite honestly, Robin, Everlane used to be kind of this niche brand back when it yeah. launched in 2010. Um, it went from zero to $100 million in six years. What? And now, Jeez. yeah. And now, now is really a mainstream brand. Everyone knows who yeah. Everlane is. But they launched a genderless denim line and here's something really interesting about the line that they made. And this fact is from Sourcing Journal. Um, it took five prototypes 
and more than 50 5-0 fit models to develop the line, whichever wow. lane says fits everyone. So the company has developed its own sizing called the everyone size, and it ranges from E1 to E11. So for example, E1 equates to a men's size 26 and a women's size 24. EQ equates to, you know, on and on and on. So, um, and Gucci even has a gender neutral selection on its website called MX. So, you know, it's really prevalent um, through all different levels of the fashion industry. Yeah, that explosive growth for Everlane really surprised me. I did not realize that. But there's an, there's an example of this, you know, genderless fashion working. And Shelly, you know, um, let's not forget uh, the most inclusive shoe ever ever made, which was Converse's Chuck Taylor all-star oh, yeah. shoe, right? <laughs> and they, uh, Nike's Converse, released a collection called Shapes um, a couple of years ago. And that is not size or gender-based e either. So, well, big brands, big brands like uh, Fred Siegel, the iconic retailer in LA, known for luxury lifestyle merchandising, unveiled its first in-house collection of genderless fashion, inspired by the Los Angeles community. Um, Unigo Glow launched the, what they're calling a unisex collection last year called Lifewear, and they mm. tagline it Made for All. Mm. And H&M yeah. has its unisex shop showcasing graphic tees, sweatshirts, accessories, and more genderless designs with universal apparel. And universal yeah. appeal, that size, you know, size for everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so, Shelly, can you go through a list of the benefits of, of this genderless apparel? Yeah, sure. Um, but before we jump into some of the advantages, I just have to go back, Robin, you kind of alluded to it earlier. But one of the biggest challenges that we really have to overcome is sizing. So this, these sizing standards differ greatly between, you know, gendered clothing. So men's pants are listed in, you know, waistline inches, while women's pants use numbers ranging yeah. from, you know, zero to 24. So companies really have to develop a sizing for the brand. They have to train the associates on the sizing, both physical store associates and any type of digital um, bot associates. Um, and they have to educate the shopper. So all of that is easier said than done. For and the sure. sizing, the sizing has to make sense to the target market. You know, so if you think about the U.S. and Japan, would would Japan the size range be smaller than that of the U.S.? So now you're saying if you're like Lego in 130 countries, are you going to have 130 different you know size ranges? Um, so it's very complex. Um, Uniglo actually has different sizes for U.S. and Asian markets, um, so that's how they're dealing with it. So common sizing um, and the grading scale is probably one of the largest challenges with genderless fashions. Yeah, I can but imagine. Yeah. Let's run through some of the benefits. So first of all, something you and I have actually been talking about. So if you have genderless fashions, you're probably going to be making less SKUs. Right. So you're not cutting male and female sizing, which is going to lead to less, hopefully, overproduction. So, Robin, maybe genderless yeah. fashion, we can finally see less stuff, <laughs> as you like to say. Um, it's environmentally, 
It's environmentally friendly, reducing the product assortment in half, essentially, give or take. And for kids apparel, it's great because clothes, you know, can be swapped between children. So the life cycle of kids clothing is probably elongated. We have skew optimization. So skew optimization is something you and I, we've spent way too much time talking about uh, in the past year. Um, but this could help a big with deal. that. Yeah. It is a big deal. Um, better sell-throughs, more chances of hitting it right. Um, and the other thing to really take into consideration is, you know, can we then have smaller stores, right? If we're not having to present two kind of merchandising strategies, can we have less merchandise, a more clear merchandising branding within a store, um, smaller footprints, maybe one set of fitting rooms, yeah. and marketing becomes much clearer and cleaner, and marketing messages can probably be very, very effective. The other benefits, you know, resale market of genderless fashion is much easier, right? You have a broader market to sell to. Um, offering exclusive styles is meeting the demand of the target market and largest consumer market. And another benefit that was noted by Fashenza is, you know, genderless fashion provides a variety of clothing. So you can wear a variety of patterns and prints and men and women can use the pieces of clothing interchangeably. Um, so those are all, you know, benefits. And this idea of gender fluidity clothing really moves us along, most importantly, to a more circular economy. Well, you know, Shelly, that list you just read through is incredible. I don't think most people really understand all of the benefits here. And also, you, you have to include the design time uh, uh, production, sourcing, and manufacturing costs are all reduced as well. So um, it's, uh, it, it's, it's got a tremendous future. Uh, also, Shelley, um, I want to reemphasize a point I made about the lack of focus on fit uh, beyond just the lack of standardization in sizing. As you know, I have zero knowledge about this area of the business, <laughs> but my friend, uh, Renee Bavino, founder and CEO of RTB, which stands for Raise the Bar, uh, knows everything about fit and how brands can solve this issue. And she's been a, a relentless leader in pursuing brands and retailers with solutions uh, to this obviously enormous and growing um, fit issue. And she claims, and by the way, as does our collaborative partner, Alvinon, um, who we love, who is also a major champion of nailing the fit issue. Both Renee and Alvinon both say that it has got to start from the top down and that most C-level executives just kind of pass the challenge down to the mid-level mm. managers, right? Who have a resistance to fundamental change. So there's got to be some top-down leadership in this area, you know? Well, you know, raise the bar and Alvin on, uh, and by the way, of course, I love Janice Lang. Yep. Um, <laughs> they're both 100% correct. Yeah, she's CEO, CEO of Alvin on. Yeah, I'm sorry. Had to get yeah, to that. <laughs> of course. I just assumed everyone knows Janice Wang. <laughs> they probably do. <laughs> um, 
But the fit issue is really going to make or break the success of the gender fluid fashions for sure. And, you know, there has to be enough of the target market that actually can wear the clothes. And you're right, Robin, it comes from the top. You know, here's an example of a company who's been doing this literally for years and was one of the first to present genderless fashion, Eileen Fisher. Oh, yeah. I saw her unisex capsule at Nordstrom's. And she is one person that absolutely leads from the top. And I know recently she stepped down last year as CEO, um, but the company ethos is going to keep the leadership involved in designs, including sizing. And Eileen's uh, replacement is Lisa Williams, who's the current or was the current chief product officer at Patagonia. So that's another company that leads with purpose and from the top. Yep. So. On a sad note, Robin, I guess the boyfriend short or the boyfriend shirt will become a thing of the past. And, uh, you know, these are hot trends. So I'm sure something new will replace it. Um, but here, I just want to go over the top five brands. This is according to the good trade in terms of genderless fashion. Wild Fang is number one on the list. It's based in Portland, Oregon. Tommy Boy X, based in Washington. Um, Big Bud Press is in California, Riley Studio coming from London, Kieran Finch, which is it based in New York City. So what's interesting about these top five brands, um, and actually Robin, even the top 10 brands, they are all focused on sustainability and conscious forward fashions. Yep, it's a new world, Shelley. <laughs> it's a new world. So for our listeners, you can find more of our podcasts on Apple, Spotify, Buzzsprout, and therobinreport.com. Look for us on YouTube where we broadcast our podcast as well. And please follow us on social media, link in with us for the latest thoughts about the industry. And I'd like to thank everybody again as well. And um, uh, as I say every week, if you've got a topic that you've been thinking about and would like Shelly and I to cover, just send me an email. It is Robin at the Robin Report.com. And thanks again for joining.